0: We have a number of readings this afternoon taken from the book of Romans. We'll read from three different chapters Romans 2, 7, and 12. We'll be working through these readings quite closely in the sermon, which has as its focus what we confess in Lord's Day 2 of the Heidelberg Catechism. So, firstly, we'll read from Romans chapter 2, and we'll read the verses 12 to 29. while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on the day when that when sorry, on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew, and rely on the law and boast in God, and know his will and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, <clears throat> a light to those who are in darkness. An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have... Have the written code and circumcision, but break the law. For no one is a Jew who, who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Now we turn to chapter 7. And read the verses 7 through 25. What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet, if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. For now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And finally, we turn to Romans chapter 12. We'll read a couple of verses from there. First two verses. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This afternoon, the text will be Lord's Day 2. Last week, we dealt with what is your only comfort in life and death, Lord's Day 1, which is, in essence, to belong in body and soul to our faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ. You may have noticed that Lord's Day 1 doesn't have a title. In a sense, it's a title in itself itself as the rest of the 51 Lord's Days that follow give the reason or the, the understanding of what we need to know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort, and we see that in question answer two. We need to know our sins and misery, how we are delivered, and how we are to be thankful. So this afternoon we begin with the section titled Our Sin and Misery, Lord's Day 2. From where do you know your sins and misery? From the law of God. What does God's law require of us? Christ teaches us this in a summary in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Can you keep all this perfectly? No, I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbour. Beloved congregation, Have you ever watched an old Western film? If you have, then you know that the bad cowboys are constantly on the run from the sheriff. And whenever they see him coming, they duck into a dark alley and they say, look out, it's the law. They don't want to run in with the sheriff. Because for them, it will surely mean getting locked up. They're always on the run from the law. In Christian circles, the law sometimes gets treated in a similar way. The law is viewed as something to be avoided, like an unwelcome guest. Part of us knows that it's good to have around, but it's just so awkward. God's law clashes with the things that we want to do. It goes against the way that we prefer to live. Actually, if you had a choice today, what would you rather listen to? A sermon about the gospel or a sermon about the law? I suspect many of us would choose to hear about the gospel is the good news of Christ, after all. It's a bright, positive message full of encouragement for people who need cheering up. The law, on the other hand, has a lot of rules and regulations. It tells us what we've done wrong and reminds us about our failures. We associate the law with things like guilt and punishment. But today we're going to look at the law in the proper scriptural light. For the Lord tells us that His law is a good and necessary thing. The law exposes our sin to us and at the same time teaches us about our deep need for a saviour. The law also guides us in God's wisdom and teaches us how to live in the way that we were designed for. So we can even say it this way, the law is a gift of God's grace. Let's consider God's word summarised in Lord's Day 2 under the following theme. In his grace, God gives sinners his holy law. We will see it is not a superficial, but a penetrating demand. Not a hopeless, but an ongoing struggle. Not a worthy, but a loving obedience. So firstly, it is not a superficial, but a penetrating demand. We read a few passages from Romans earlier, and we should know that in this letter, Paul is trying to make a case. Like a good lawyer, he lays out the evidence, draws the line of connection and then he pounds home his point. And what he's doing is arguing for Christ, that's his purpose. He wants to show his readers in the church at Rome the good news in all its glory, the gospel that is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Romans 1 verse 16. But to do so, Paul first has to show the need for salvation, Before the good news can be welcomed, people have to hear the bad news. And they have to hear how bad it really is. It's like if your body is afflicted with a terrible disease. You're only going to seek treatment for the disease when you know about it. When you see it there on the scan and when you understand how it's going to destroy your life, only then do you ask for help. So, what is the bad news? In Romans chapter 2, Paul starts telling us, First, he wants us to know that everyone, whatever age, nationality or religion, that everyone stands in some kind of relationship to God. You do, and your unbelieving neighbour does, for God is our maker. It means that every human has to give an account of their life to God. As his creatures, we all have to appear before him at some point and answer to him. So, what's the standard by which god evaluates us the holy standard is his law and the question is have we kept his command commandments paul says to us in romans 2 verse 13 for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before god but the doers of the law who will be justified it's not enough to know it you have to put it into practice those people who obey god's rules and directives About these the judge will say, you've done well, you're free to go. They are justified, right with God. It sounds straightforward enough, until we stop and let those words sink in a little. The doers of the law will be justified. Who can make it into that category? Who can keep the law? Who would claim, Lord, I've obeyed you from A to Z, commandment 1 to 10, I've heard your law and done it not one of us could make such a claim not anybody and Paul wants to lay out this truth to the Romans Rome was a cosmopolitan city and this was a cosmopolitan church diverse and international there are quite a few Jews there and also many people of gentile background and he wants to show that all of them without exception are confronted by the demands of God's law Jewish Christians, of course, were very familiar with it. Ages ago, the law had been given to Moses at Sinai and then passed down through the generations by parents and scribes and teachers. So they all knew God's commands. But Paul says that even the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, pagans and heathens, know the Lord's law. How can that be? For their grandparents weren't at the mountain and they never learned the commandments. So isn't it just a little unfair for God to judge them? How could they have any idea what the Creator expected? By way of example, think about the people who lived on this continent for thousands of years before the white man arrived. They weren't Jews. No one told them about the Ten Commandments, at least not till later. And so at the end of time, when they appear before the judge of the earth, like everyone else, they might ask, why are we being judged for sin? We didn't know your law. And there's many people in this world who would say that because they haven't read the Bible or been to church. Gentiles certainly didn't, or they don't, have the law in the same way as God's people. Still, God is always fair, for He gave to everyone a knowledge of basic moral precepts. He wrote His commands inside us, for God designed us humans with the ability to know right and wrong. As Paul writes in chapter 2, verse 15, they, that's the Gentiles, show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. It's built in, part of our factory settings, a law that everyone knows. And so people will sometimes do what's required. That's why all across this globe we see a kind of obedience to God's commands. And it's why people still know evil when they see it. Even in a country, even if a country is totally godless and barely touched by God's Word, People there understand that kidnapping a child, rape and murder, is to be condemned. There's no hesitation that this is evil. And where does that awareness come from? What's the origin of that moral code? Paul says it's from God's law. Written on their hearts. (coughs) This is what the Canons of Dort calls the light of nature. Those internal notions that everyone has knowledge about the difference between what is honourable and shameful. You'll find that in chapter 3, 4, article 4. Maybe these moments of moral clarity are on the decline. In our society, we see more and more confusion on things like the need to respect authority and the purpose of sexuality and the value of human life. It's why marriage has been redefined and it's why unborn babies are murdered every day. People have corrupted the knowledge that God has given so that right and wrong aren't always clear anymore. Still, you can't argue against it. Gentiles or pagans, those outside the circle of God's people, do know the law to some degree. Now Paul turns to the Jews in his congregation. It's as if the Jewish people are sitting in the prisoner's box and Paul grills them. He starts off in verse 17 and 18 where he says, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent, Because you are instructed from the law, Paul is going to be hard on them. Because he knew very well how his countrymen lived with a real sense of security. They assumed they were in a good place when it came to God. If they read the law in the synagogue every Sabbath and they didn't break any of the commands in an obvious way, they thought they were doing just fine. Yet they forgot how God's law penetrates. His commands are never simply about an outward obedience behaviours that are socially acceptable. No, God's law goes further and judges what we think about in the secret place and his law tests what's really important to us. His law is meant to be obeyed from the depths of our being. This is why the Lord's law's summary says, we must love God with heart, soul and mind. Question and answer four. Not just with word or action, but with everything that we are so paul rebukes the jews at the same time he rebukes us who get to hear god's law every sunday take a look at verse 21 to 23 again of chapter 2. verse 21 you then who teach others do you not teach yourself while you preach against stealing do you steal now it's easy to insist of course i've never stolen anything haven't robbed a bank or even shoplifted a chocolate bar from 7-Eleven. Outwardly, we're law-abiding. But the law penetrates. Have we been covetous for our neighbour's nice caravan, our friend's job or for someone else's attractive figure? The commandment condemns us. Maybe we haven't stolen anything outright, but have we squandered God's gifts with careless spending? Have we been generous with ourselves but stingy with the Lord? This too is stealing verse 22You who say that no you who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? It's easy to say I've never slept with my neighbour's wife. I never, I'd never pay money for a prostitute. but we, do we lust after someone we see at the beach or do we entertain sexual fantasies? Are we polluted by what we watch on television or do we visit porn sites every now and again? The law exposes all of this as nothing less than adultery. Further in verse 22, you who abhor idols, do you rob temples? If the command was just about external obedience, we could say, No, never worshipped at a pagan temple. I'm not about to convert to Islam. We detest idols. But the law penetrates and asks Have we robbed the true God of what belongs to him? Have we robbed him of our devotion, our trust? Our prayers? And have we worshipped our own gods of approval or comfort or safety or money? This too is idolatry. And now we're coming to the point of it all. Verse 23 You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. We might feel superior because we know what God wants, and maybe we look down on those around us in our city. They don't go to church, they live for themselves. They're so confused. We boast of what we know and where we go to church, but do we keep the law? Do we honour God's word by loving him truly? Can we face the penetrating demand of God's law? We come to the second point. This is not a hopeless, but an ongoing struggle. Paul can be pretty tough on people as he makes his case. Sure, he says, pagans and unbelievers know the demands of God's law, but do they keep it? Maybe once in a while or to look good. But beneath the surface, their hearts were all wrong. As for the Jews, Paul explained that hearing the word isn't the same as doing it. He writes in chapter 3, verse 9, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. And later, he concludes in the last part of verse 22 and 23, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The law convicts everyone. We all have to confess, question and answer three. From where do I know my sins and misery? From the law of God. But notice that Paul doesn't exclude himself from the questioning. In chapter 7, he takes his own turn in the stand and he gives a very personal testimony about the place of the law in his life. In the first place, Paul knows we can all be down about the law. Not surprising, it reveals us as criminals. So people will then urge, let's get rid of the law. More gospel. Paul anticipates this. Chapter 7, verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? Is God's law bad because it confronts us so sharply? We have to answer no, for God's law brings clarity. It presents the things of our life as they really are, argues Paul, yet if it were not for the law, I would not have known sin. So instead of being ignorant, now we know our sins. We know how deep their bitter roots grow, how wide the fallout has reached. And as was said earlier, you're only going to seek treatment when you know you have a disease. If you don't realize what kind of trouble you're in, you won't ask for help. So, Paul is honest. God's law makes a demand we, even he, cannot meet. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. 7 verse 14. That is, God's law is holy and pure and wise, but we are enslaved to natural desires. The law calls us to love, but we are inclined to hate God and our neighbour, as we confess in question and answer 5. Even as reborn Christians, this struggle continues. Listen as Paul shares his frustration. Chapter 7, verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. He says, I just can't carry it out. I can't obey even when I try and how often have we how often haven't we ourselves said similar words for we all know the commandments every Sunday morning we hear them as youth in catechism class we learn them year after year in the preaching we hear them explained from his law we know that what God wants us to do the way he wants us to live so there is no doubt there are things we know we shouldn't do. Maybe there are some things we don't do, areas that aren't a struggle for us. Yet it sounds like Paul had his weaknesses, just like I have my own and you have yours. Temptations we've often fallen for, sins that we're always drawn to. Spiritual weakness comes in different shades and colours for each child of God. They are different because of our character, because of the events of our past, and because of the influences around us. Because we know God's law well, We understand we shouldn't commit these sins. We know we shouldn't give in to our pride again, or surrender to drunkenness, or have that bitter spirit, or be lazy, or whatever else. As Paul says, there are sins we've come to hate, repulsive things that we don't want to do anymore, but what happens? We do the very things we hate. The things that we know are wrong. Again and again we sin against the God who saved us, Where does this evil come from? How can such wickedness still be lurking inside the people redeemed by Christ? Paul answers this in verse 17. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. We need to understand that correctly. Paul isn't looking for excuses, saying our hearts have been hijacked so we can't help it. Instead, he's making us aware of how powerful sin can be. If we let it, sin can overwhelm us. If we're not discerning, sin can totally confuse us. Maybe you fall in with the wrong crowd and they pull you from God. Or you start doing a certain thing, a certain sin, and you realise you might not be able to stop. The sin dwelling in you can enslave you and captivate you. Yes, even with God working in us by his Spirit, we can fail badly. Paul explains what this looks like in verse 18 for i have the desire or the will to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out we often have good intentions we have the will to do it and we might make sincere resolutions to change we might know exactly what's required i need to give to god more faithfully out of my first fruits i have to go to talk to her and share my concerns i have to read the bible more often and be more diligent in prayer but do we? Paul's experience rings true for us. Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. The good things we aspire to, our desire to change our ways, our knowledge of what must be done, so quickly it's forgotten or it's clawed back by that stubborn old sin, hatred for God and our neighbour. It's such a sure thing that Paul calls it a new law, kind of like Murphy's law, but much worse. Verse 21. So I find it to be a law, the New King James Version says new law, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. It's an ongoing struggle, a lingering heartache for every Christian, the fight against our own sinfulness. And it leads Paul to give voice to his despair. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? That's a painful cry. Yes, it's exactly what God wants us to do. Not to give up. Not to say it's never going to change. But to cry out to God and ask for mercy. Who will rescue us? Who will save us from a life of constant disobedience? And then in our frustrations, there's hope. Because listen to how Paul follows up his own cry. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's all he says. He doesn't explain, but the rest of Romans certainly makes it clear. For Christ came and he kept God's law in our place. With heart, soul, mind and strength, our Saviour loved God and loved his neighbour. With perfect obedience, he honoured every command. And not only that, God carried the death penalty for our rebellion. In God's court, we were guilty and none of us should have lived. But Jesus volunteered to suffer in our place, to be cursed instead of us, to die for our life. So for believers who always fail, there's hope. For we who get reminded every day of our weaknesses, there is daily hope. We can rest on the perfect obedience and atoning death of Christ Jesus. But don't forget this one thing. We've got to do what Paul did and cry out to God, who will rescue me? Cry in faith, cry in humility, cry in sincerity. Then on Christ's merits, we can go free. Then we can build a new life, one that is forgiven and restored and being renewed. Then we say, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We come to the last point, not a worthy, but a loving obedience. So what about the law? It's been fulfilled and its full penalty has been carried on the cross. Can't we just get rid of it? No, the Spirit says. We uphold the law. We even cherish it as God's gift, but for the right purpose. It's not something that will earn us reward points, but the law shows us how to live. Household rules for children of the Father. So after being cleared of our guilt before God, it's time for rehab and re-education. It's time to learn a new way of behaving. This is what we confessed in Lord's Day 1, where we read, Now I'm heartily willing and ready to live for Him. For when we believe in the Saviour, Christ also works in us a new desire to obey. Listen to what Paul says, even in the midst of all his despair over the struggle with sin, He says, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Pay careful attention to those words. As Christians, we can delight in God's law. At first, being holy doesn't seem like a delight, it's more like a burden, always having to be self-controlled. And is, is it a pleasure to make sacrifices for Christ's church? Is there really joy in serving each other? Beloved, there is. For the redeemed sinner for the thankful child of god you begin to find that these things aren't a burden we start to rejoice in the law because this law gives us a real and concrete way to show our love to god you can go through the commandments and see how practical this is because we love god we're going to make god and his kingdom our first priority Because we love God, we're going to use his name rightly and confess it gladly. Because we love God, we're going to honour his holy day and worship him faithfully. Because we love God, we're going to respect our parents and elders and leaders. And we're going to love even those who have treated us poorly. Because we love God, we're going to guard our sexual purity and treasure our marriage. We're going to be wise with our material things and generous too. Because we love God, we're going to watch what we say and how we say it. And we're going to strive for contentment with what what we've been given. All this because we love God. In chapter 12, Paul lays out the sinner's road to recovery. He says to us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's saying, pray to be changed from someone lawless and useless into someone who has a new and holy calling. Pray to be changed from someone who was once enslaved to sin into someone who is set free, free to be a servant of Christ. With God the Holy Spirit changing us on the inside, we'll be ready to. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. Beloved, pray for that new obedience. With scripture open, develop that loving obedience, always seeking what pleases God. This is what the redeemed sinner needs to ask himself. How is God's will going to be done by me today in the place where I am? For every challenge you meet in a day, learn to ask, what would the Father expect of me? his child, here and now. And for each opportunity, ponder the question, what does God's word say? Let me do that. At this moment too, may I show my love for God through Jesus Christ. Amen.